Hello and welcome to the Grid Podcast. Uh, we are back with your podcast about our electricity networks and their role at the heart of our transition to net zero. Today we are talking about SF6 uh, and how basically the transition and move away from SF6 might affect our wider kind of transition towards net zero. Uh, and we'll straight away, I've just come out with another industry three letter acronym. So let's just get straight into it. I'm here with David McDonald uh, and let's kick off. What is SF6? Right. So SF6, I'm not a switchgear expert by any stretch of imagination, but SF6 is sulfur hexafluoride. It's uh, in its purest form, it's a colorless, odorless gas. It's used hugely across transmission and distribution switchgear um, from sort of 11 kV upwards. Um, it's extremely effective at quenching electrical arcs. That's why it's great. And you don't need that much of it. So it means switch gear can be small. So effectively, sulfur hexafluoride, that, that's the acronym SF6. And it's a gas that goes in most switch gear that we pretty much use from 11 kV right up into transmission switch gear. Yeah, so like for the last 20 years, we've kind of moved from oil insulated switch gear mostly into this SF6 space. There is vacuum as well. Um, and those three things are playing out now in various different ways. But SF6 is was probably the main type of insulation and switchgear over the last yeah 20 years in the industry. Yeah, I think that's right. Pretty much any bit of switchgear you go to buy is SF6 really. Well, subject to what we're about to, to talk about then. So it's obviously very, very good at what it does. It it effectively, it's allowed switchgear manufacturers to make kits smaller and, and more efficient because it is so good at, at quenching that high voltage arc when, you're, when your circuit breaker is trying to break that, that fault current and, and there's the big kind of arc sparking across it. Um, it's really, really good at what it does. Allows you to make all that kit much smaller. That means you know less materials, less land tech. You know, just more efficiency overall. Really. Yep. yep. Well, well, what wh what is wrong with SF six then? Okay, oh. so like, why do we want to move away from it? Well, we're back to kind of net zero and the impact. Actually, um, it's probably one of the most potent greenhouse gases that there is. It's um, twenty three thousand five hundred times more potent than CO two. Um, so it has a huge not, impact. Not good then. Not great stuff from a, a greenhouse gas effect. It has a huge impact on the planet. So the plan is to to move away from that. There's been various dates talked about, various bans talked about, but ultimately the direction of travel is we need to move away from using SF6 um, and that we need to look at alternatives out there in the marketplace. I think it's it's something like a it's got like a three thousand two hundred year lifespan as well, so it's not it's not something that's going to disappear quickly no, it, either. No, it doesn't die quickly, um, and it's um, yeah, it's for, it's pretty. You're you're testing my chemistry now, but it's a, a pretty nasty gas to have out there, and and one of the things that the DNOs actually are you know through F gas regulations, so there's regulations in place they monitor how much leakage there is of this. Um, and that's one of the things they're working on while these alternatives and making sure that the leakage is low. Yeah, so it's obviously it's very good at its job in, in insulating, but it is if it if it gets out into the atmosphere, it's bad. It's fine once it's if it's all contained and and uh, looked after, but it's it's those leakage rates which, um, as you say, under regulation, DNOs have to monitor leakage rates, report on them. But that's all just part of a bigger. It's it's both a legislative and regulatory trend, but but also driven by DNOs and manufacturers. Everybody's kind of playing a part in. Everybody knows we need to get away from it. Totally. I mean, it's not dissimilar to the EV move. You know, like it was one, you know, 
three or four years ago it was talked about. We're now seeing like the reg, you know, the legislation, the regulation move that way, and then you know, and we're starting to see, but like the car manufacturers, we're starting to see all the switchgear manufacturers look at the alternatives and see which one they can get that's going to give them the advantage in terms of selling into to the electrical and particularly the utility industry. Okay, brilliant. So we've covered what SF6 is. Uh, we've covered what's bad about it, what's good about it, and well, wh- why it's changing. So I suppose the, the whole purpose of the podcast then is is the next bit really, and it's looking at those impacts. You know, this transition away from SF6, um, sort of where where is it going to impact? And then we'll we'll lead into a conversation. I suppose if if I'm a project developer, maybe developing a a solar farm or a large scale kind of energy storage or a very you know electricity intensive factory that's electrifying away from gas what what are the things i maybe need to think about or how i how might i be impacted by the the sf6 transition yeah and uh so i suppose let's let's look at maybe the state of player or chat about the state of play today so obviously the main driver in, in the industry we're in then and moving away it, it's the decision the dnos make you know they they set their standards on what equipment they will or won't allow um so that they're probably the first protocol totally. obviously they rely on manufacturers and partnerships with with different manufacturers producing the technology um but sort of where are we at in terms of where the the this gbdnos today so the the rules are there are no rules we're not just quite at that stage um the direction of travel is definitely to you know long-term direction of travel everybody is saying from a strategic perspective that they want to remove sf6 from their asset base um, that's broadly driven, as we've talked about, around you know, change in regulation, et cetera, et cetera, p- potential bans that may be coming in. But everybody is a slightly different variant of that. Some are more aggressive and want to move quicker. Some are less aggressive. Some want to see what's out there in the marketplace. I think the general concept, though, is when they move away from SF6 plant, um, there has to be both a commercially and sort of physically viable alternative, one that works technically, two that doesn't take up you know three times the room of the current switch gear uh, and also that it's commercially viable like it doesn't cost the earth yeah like before we get to the the sort of implications for project developers like you know just in broad dno terms if you've got an old substation that's confined you know let's in a city somewhere where you know you've got neighbors and sort of four sides of you, you you can't expand your land tech and you need to replace the switch gear in there with sf6 free but if, if that switch gear is bigger because, you know, we, we can't get an insulated medium that fits in as small, um, that could mean, you know, replacing that switch gear might not just be simple as going in and changing gear. It might need, need a whole new land tech trying to locate a whole substation location within a city. You know, very quickly you're looking at millions and millions of pounds there. You know, the, the impact so, could be huge. Well, where you're trying to get to is like sort of, so like um, if you're thinking like a smaller package substation, um, you know, oil insulated switch gear the old oil ring main units were broadly the same size as the new sf6 alternative now there's other issues with oil as many of us will remember for you know in terms of maintenance and you know oil sludging there's whole lots of different things in that space also some safety concerns um and those those can all be managed the same as there's things you have to manage with sf6 so a few of the dnos are in that space well if there's no alternative well then is oil also an, an option because because they are you know they technically work physically the space is about the same 
Um, so, but again, there's 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 negatives there that are seen as transition to ESF six. So to go back seems a bit of a, a strange step, but it might be something that's considered by different yeah. people, just depending on how they, they view the risks. Yeah, there was obviously reasons uh, asset managers moved away from oil insulated gear, yeah. and you know you've touched on some of them around maintenance and 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 various different bits and pieces. So, um, I suppose well, part of what maybe becoming a bit apparent in this conversation, it it's the environmental concern has probably risen over the, tw- the, yep. the last 20 years. So that's now a bigger factor on an asset manager's kind of um, totally. criteria when you're looking at kit. Uh, but it has to be weighed up against all these other factors. You know, h- how big is it? Is there more land tech that is going to make certain projects unviable? Is it more expensive? Is it longer lead time? Um, all sorts of uh, health and safety implications around, you know, well, like oil's presumably a bit more of a fire risk, whereas SF6 isn't a fire risk at all. Yep. So, um, and you have alternatives there, even in the oil space where you can use my data. There's lots of different alternatives that you need to consider and sort of take the whole thing, you know, as an asset manager should take a view of the risk right across the piece. But as you say, the environmental risk has become greater and actually, you know, to a stage where you might actually have to just remove it from all your, your gear. And, and just to say, I suppose this isn't a retrospective thing. So all the switch gear out there has to be managed and the SF6 has to be managed and the leakage rates still have to be managed and that. So nobody's going backwards here. Uh, but as you continue to replace your switch gear, and, and it, realistically, it's probably 10 or 15 years down the line before a lot of that SF6 gear would even be coming up for replacement, you know, a 40, yeah. 50 year lifespan. Uh, so that's that's where we're at. Albeit, I do know there was a lot of big concerns being raised with the people, particularly at EU level, setting regulation and legislation around big concerns about we'll hold on if we need spare parts for some of the kit we have and, and this sort of thing, um, especially if. If phasing out SF6 means a whole new substation that might take 10 years to deliver, you still need the manufacturers to be able to produce parts and things. So yeah. there's a lot of nuance and debate around, sure. around all that as but well. But there is some general rules in terms of where we've got to. So very broad brush. Um, switchboards generally have alternatives that are commercially viable, physically the same size. So maybe at 11 kV and at 33 kV, there, there are alternatives out there in the marketplace. And you'll see some of the DNOs have said only those alternatives, no SF6 in that space. The things that are trickier is at transmission voltage levels, you know, 132 upwards, uh, and ring main units. Um, there is some alternates out there, but they are much bigger. And I know the ring main unit sort of manufacturing industry is really looking at getting that medium or a gas that can perform like SF6 at the same size. So those developments are out there, but we haven't seen them really hit the marketplace yet. Yeah. And just before we go into maybe a little bit of like, well, what to, what to be aware of if you are developing, you know, as I said, like sort of energy transition projects. Uh, one of the other things before we kind of leave the topic of what the DNOs are doing, it probably is worth touching on. There's a common theme, all the DNOs in, in Rio ED2, which is their next kind of business planning cycle. It, it started back in uh, March, April this year. Uh, you know, everybody's committed to getting away from SF6, but each of the DNOs are kind of, having different plans around that so it's just worth reiterating that piece i think you already said some of them are are quite conservative some of them take a a fairly dim view of what's on the market today whereas some of them are at the very other end of that and are jumping in uh you know everything um into like ruling out sf6 switch gear at 132 the whole the whole way down through today um which we'll we'll come on to now does have some implications so yeah, we'll move on then. Basically, if 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 you're sitting there developing a a large you know sort of energy transition project, there's probably a bit of a differentiating 
differentiation here between the kind of 132 kV and upwards voltage level and then sort of 33 kV in the middle and then kind of 11 each voltage level actually is a little bit different itself yeah. um so certain impacts to look out for so well if you're up at the, let's start with if you're up at the 132 kV voltage level so if you're sort of 20 30 megawatts and above um so some DNOs have just said they've they've moved away totally from SF6 switchgear um the some of the cur- current issues with that is well space so the switchgear can be bigger and it can mean a bigger land tech uh, and that kind of a knock-on impact then on your plan and permission. So if you've put in a 132kV substation uh, design as part of your battery scheme or your, your factory scheme or, or whatever it is, and you've allocated land for that at the corner of the site and that's went into planning, uh, well, if you, if you all of a sudden need to find yourself uh, using bigger equipment or switching from like a dead tank to a live tank circuit breaker and then you need external uh, externally mounted CTs and all that sort of thing, changes substation layout, can make it a bit bigger. Uh, and especially if if you've kind of got a confined site for for that substation was was relatively nailed on and you don't have much room, um, that could have quite a big impact on your yeah. project as well as any planning amendments to reconfigure that substation as well. So you might find that you're you're coming ready to build and and then you actually you find you might have another twelve months to wait be, between lead time and and sorting planning out. Yeah, and th- and that lead time piece is a really tricky piece in all of this because you know. And it, and it's a tricky one for DNOs as well. Um, you know, lead times and and switch gear, as you know, can be. You know, we're in, we've mentioned in this podcast before. You're you know, through big stuff, it could be twelve month, nine to twelve months, maybe slightly more than that in certain occasions. So, um, for new gear, uh, non SF six, those lead times might even be further extended. So you have a time impact. But equally, then there's a piece about how this transition works as well. So, say a DNO decides in six months time that you know they want to go to non-SF6 completely across their range of switchgear um, and it's something we've been chatting to some DNOs about there has to be a policy in place you know if you if you've ordered your switchgear nine months out you want to make sure that that can still be installed so there has to be like a transition period and and it's hard to find the balance in that because the DNO if they have decided not to order any new they don't want to let new stuff come on but equally if you've committed to a project and it's been approved then that has to sort of see its way through unless it was really trying to extend it, extend it time frame. So there's a whole tricky balance around how we manage this going forward. Yeah, so I was going to sort of, so point one we've made is around the land tech and then any planning impact of, of changing the design yep. of the whole, because the, the, the switchgear change can change your design of the whole substation. And in that point two, really summarizing up as being very careful with forward procurement, which is is a bit odd because we're obviously <laughs> day and daily advising people you know get your orders in get orders in because long lead kit is typically the the you know if you're waiting a year for a a piece of switch gear and that's typically the the thing that's critical path in your project but there has to be that extra level of care tech and now because at dnos are changing policy you know they're all changing policy at different speed and they're all you know i'm i'm sure they're all of their asset managers are, are currently analyzing all sorts of different kit out in the market at the minute uh, probably going through certain tests and factor acceptance and everything else uh, and those policies are changing it really is moving we, we've seen a number of policies change in this and and they continue to change uh, on a very regular basis so we do you do need to be very careful with that is that you don't go and decide you're going to order a load of breakers for your on-site substation and then next thing find that the dno won't accept them yeah, yeah particularly if you don't have any dno engagement i think the key thing is have that engagement with them to say we're placing orders now you know, we've got design approval or we're going to be coming for design approval 
you know, are you happy yeah. enough with this? So. Um, and then I suppose, well, that both of those aspects apply to 33 kV as well. Um, you know, some of the non SS633 kV switchboards might be a little bit bigger. Uh, so again, it's just that bit about land tech and designing the substation in, yep. and if it does need to get bigger, and that impacts planning or yeah. whatever. I think in well. that space, we probably have more detail. We kind of know what the alternative looks like, yeah. so both commercially and physically. So you know, those they're out there. It's the ones that are in that development stage where it's very hard to say. Well, is a package substation going to need to be you know fifty percent bigger, twenty percent bigger? Yeah. Is it fine the way it is, and the same for the big stuff? And then I suppose just dropping down voltage level, so. Is it fair to say, maybe this is a stupid question, is it fair to say at the higher voltages we're highly unlikely to see anything oil insulated coming in there? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, I was, so sort of 33 kV, 132, you're, you're not going to see any, any anything oil insulated. But at 11 kV, that's where you might see a move. You might see some viable alternatives there as oil for a period of time. Yeah. Um. Again, that brings more maintenance and you know, yeah. and other and other things to consider, but I think it is a viable because okay. uh, I know one DNO in the UK has moved back to oil um, RMUs. And I suppose one thing we, we've kind of picked up in a couple of projects is, well, there's a bit more in your fire risk assessment then as well. Obviously, oil poses a bit of a fire risk. You've got integral substations and, and that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, and, well. and what some of the DNOs, are, and I don't know the detail of this, but they may be considering more like remote switching of those those units or whatever, like for, via SCADA potentially with actuators, or they may be looking at you know, some kind of lanyard system. All those things need to be considered uh, as part of that. But again, oil is not an uncommon thing that's used in the industry. It's in your transformer anyway. So, you know, everybody will have pluses and minuses thoughts on operating it, not operating it, how you do it. But there's there's mitigations you can put in place to make that a viable approach if that's something you want to consider. Equally, other people think that'll be a very backward step. Yeah, okay. Um, well, I think I think we've probably covered the the main bits really. I, I suppose just to summarize, you know, if you are developing a project today, and um, partic- you know, this is particularly pertinent to. I know a lot of the people in the renewables and battery industry are, are all caught up now with these twenty thirty plus connection dates, yeah. and it is a hard one. It's like, well, you know, if if you're trying to get planning permission and stuff in place, well, they've already got a lot of issues around planning expiry dates. You know, typically expires within five years and and all sorts of things. And then it's like, well how do you put forward a robust design into planning taking account of what the substation is going to look like as well um so it, it is just a it's another thing to be aware of i suppose yeah. at, at this point in time all we can do is highlight it you can kind of factor in maybe a little bit of extra space if you can around your substation yeah. uh, you can start to look at well you know some of the dnos that have been at, on the front foot on this stuff look at the kit they're using potentially look to you know what would the design impact be there and, and design that in totally and there's ultimately maybe even a, a debate about uh, air engineered switch gear versus you know indoor switch actual switch boards versus outdoor gear so there's another play in that as well what the alternative might look like but yeah plenty to be considering so i think it's just making sure you know that it's out there exactly okay um thanks for that david i think that no was that was really useful um just as a bit of a roundup in other news, uh, just very quickly before we go. So uh, in terms of future podcasts, just uh, tying in with all our news then. So we had the prime, the current prime minister anyway. Um, yep. I say current uh, as of sort of se- September, October 2023. <laughs> I'm not trying to get too political on this it, podcast. It might change quickly. <laughs> uh, actually, uh, so Grid Connections was in the news. Um, he came out and said we're going to move away from a first come, first serve grid connection process. So... 
our interpretation, I suppose, is that's going to mainly apply to sort of generation and large battery storage, right. very lo- very large schemes, I, I'm assuming, as part of the whole transmission capacity crunch that, that we have covered. Uh, so we'll come back and kind of have a look at, well, what might a not first come first, first serve sure. system look like? Yep. Uh, and if we sort of look at one of our closest neighbors in the Republic of Ireland, uh, they operate a very different uh, system. Kind of batch type of so that, that might help inform if, you know, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of industry consultation around this. Um, so that might help inform people uh, that will be feeding into the consultations and different industry stakeholders on on what all our systems can look like and sort of the pros and cons. Yep. So we'll come back and we'll do that. Uh, I have been repeatedly saying we're going to come back with another Transmission Capacity Crunch podcast. That will be part of it. Uh, in truth, part of it has also been um, National Grid set out a lot of plans that we were hoping to come into place, and they can't quite haven't really quite happened on time. So we had things like their connection plan assumptions were supposed to be early this year, got moved back to August. Not really sure when the date is for that now. The tech amnesty I think was supposed to complete uh, quite early. I think it's maybe even held up a little bit. But last I heard, there's eight gigawatts in it, and it's with Ofgem for approval. So hopefully that comes through. And to be fair, the DNOs have done a good job pushing on uh, getting technical limits. So we might come back with a podcast on technical limits uh, that allow should allow some DNO connections to proceed. Uh, and then any other news roundup? I suppose there was the connection charging reform. Yeah, call from f- Northern Ireland perspective, you had the connection charging reform call for evidence. So for any GB listeners who think they have it hard off, um, people in Northern Ireland don't get, they have to pay full reinforcement if you're a connecting customer. Uh, whereas obviously anybody developing GB will know that the costs, well, they had been shared and now they're largely being picked up with the DNO, subject to a few caveats that we've touched on a, on a different podcast as well. Um, and yeah, I think yeah. that's generally it. We've responded to that. We'll be we'll keep you updated on how that moves on um, for, for those of us that are based here as well in Northern Ireland. Yeah, so I suppose, well, thanks for listening. We will be back. Uh, We'll be back looking at those few topics. Uh, Please get in touch, uh, like or subscribe, uh, YouTube, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, or or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, Do feel free to uh, reach out to us, uh, pose any questions, throw in any topics you'd like covered, and we will be back in the not-too-distant future with our next podcast. Thanks. Thanks very much. Cheers.